We are in Ephesians chapter 1. Second week of our new series, Union with Christ, the incredible doctrine you've probably never heard about. And Travis laid for us some uh, helpful groundwork last week. We're going to jump right into chapter 1. So do you have your Bibles? Look with me at verses 3 to 14. I want to read those in one sitting with you. I'll be reading, of course, out of our scripture journals. I hope you'll get one. They're, I think they're all gone except for three. They may have gotten some more in this week, but I appreciate you just supporting that. I'm using it as well for my own study. It has a lot of space to write in for every verse, so just pick one up, and you can bring it with you to the service, take a lot more notes than perhaps just in your Bible. I recommend marking in your Bible as well, uh, but this gives you more space to also take further notes, and we're going to give you a ton of insight and application and information that will help you obey as you process all that we're learning about union with Christ. So let's read verses 3 to 14. God would say this to us this morning, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Wow. That's just incredible, isn't it? Five English sentences in some of the Greek translations, it's four sentences. In the original manuscript, it's one long run-on sentence. There are at least 10 in Christ references. There are three beautiful to the praise of his glory statements. I mean, this set of 12 verses, it's like a, a rich dessert. You're drizzling chocolate over it, and it just never stops. It's this layer after layer, scoop after scoop. Now, that's probably terrible for you nutritionally, but theologically, bring it on, right? I mean, it's so delicious. You want to just eat at this table and feast. Now, we're going to be diving into these verses 3 to 14 over the next several weeks. My question this week is this. Who gets all these blessings? Who's the recipient of all these privileges? Well, that's what verses 1 and 2 tell us. 
You probably thought I skipped those, didn't you? No, we don't skip verses around here, okay? Verses 1 and 2 tell us who gets 3 through 14. So let's back up. Here's what 1 and 2 tell us. You ready? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes into this incredible uh, uh, worshipful moment, listing all of these benefits and privileges that come to those, specifically here, in short, the saints and faithful in Christ. I want to take some time this morning and, and just kind of unpack for you two concepts that we draw from that simple phrase, saints and faithful in Christ. Now, we could say it's verses one and two. We'll look at most of the things in these verses, but that phrase especially says to us two really important things. And I want to look at those this morning as we begin this series on union with Christ. First of all, I want us to notice that it talks about our primary identification. Circle in your Bible or in your journal the word saints and the word faithful. This is how they were identified by the Apostle Paul. As saints and as the faithful. Now, believe it or not, there uh, are a number of ways to see these two labels or titles. And I won't go into that here for the sake of time. I will tell you this. If you'll listen on Tuesday to the Extra Point podcast, I'll go through about four different views of how you can see these two, two titles. It's really kind of intriguing, the number of ways you can see these titles. I see them, though, as this one way. I see them as one synonymous group. They say, Todd, how can people develop all these different views and theories from two words? Well, it depends on if you see the word faithful as an adjective, and some translators do. You'll notice in the Christian Standard Bible, they call them faithful saints. Uh, some see it as a verb, meaning they put faith in Christ. But structurally and grammatically, here's the hard reality. There's one article and two nouns. The saints and faithful. So I see, and I'm in this camp, I think the word faithful, it serves as an appositive. If you know grammar, that's kind of understanding that to be a word that renames a noun. So the word faithful would be saying that's who the saints are, not what they do in this case. You see, we often think of the word faith or faithful as something we do, and that's not wrong. We are faithful to Christ or we're faithful for Christ, yes, but in this case, he's simply saying you are something. And he's, he's showing there's, a, there's an equality. They don't exist without each other. You don't have saints who aren't also faithful ones. And you don't have faithful ones who aren't saints. Are you following me? They are equal. They're, they're renaming each other. One article, two nouns. This is who gets all the blessings and the privileges. This is... The, the group, the one synonymous group that's the recipient of 3 through 14. He calls them saints. He calls them faithful ones. Now, I do think Paul is, if I could use this phrase, pointing towards something by using these two nouns. I think he's pointing to the, the concept of endurance on the part of God's people. Doctrinally, we know this as the perseverance of the saints. In other words, that those who are truly saints will be truly 
faithful to the end. In other words, because they are set apart ones, and that's what the word saint means. The word saint is from the word holy. It's hagias. It means a set apart one, a holy one unto God. Because they're set apart, then when things get tough, they don't come apart. And so there's an equality here. And Paul, I think, is kind of pointing that direction. He's uh, hinting that there's something about a saint that lasts. They don't quit. This is why I don't think faithful here is an adjective, because to say that there are faithful saints might imply that there are unfaithful saints. There are no unfaithful saints. There are saints, and they are faithful, because God keeps them to the very end. That's how we know who truly belongs to God, because they last. He has set them apart, and thus they don't come apart. So our primary identification here is we are one synonymous group. And by the way, Paul's in this group. Notice he first starts off with his name, Paul. He's an apostle by God's will. But later he would say in verse 3 that he has blessed us. So Paul's including himself in this group that are known as the saints or the faithful ones. Now this only happens because we are in Christ. And so what's discussed next is our primary location. So he first of all addresses our primary identification. And then he says, you are this because of your primary location in Christ. Now, as soon as I've said that, you've probably said, well, Todd, there's another location in there too. You missed it. It says the saints are actually in Ephesus. Great observation. You're right. There is a physical location and there is a spiritual location. This picture here is when I visited Ephesus. It was a leading city in the Mediterranean area in that time frame. Lasted in some ways in, in prominence till about the third, fourth century. From the third or fourth century on till about the fifth, 15th century, it just declined, declined till it finally just hit its ruins. But in Paul's day, the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana was there. Uh, I think Ephesus is mentioned at least a couple of times in Acts. Paul spent three years there. In fact, it was a, a, a major metropolis, uh, had a port. And if you were in Ephesus, you were actually in. You follow me? And you, you were from a leading city. And to say, I'm from Ephesus, it was more than just a location. It was kind of like, I'm something. You were in. But here's what's so interesting is it, it doesn't matter now if you're in Ephesus. Look at the city. It's a pile of ruins. It's just a place for archaeological digs. So I guess it wasn't that important to be in Ephesus. Here's what's most important, to be in Christ. You see, I submit to you and contend that this is the primary location Paul is emphasizing. That being in Christ is what makes us a saint or a faithful one. And he's highlighting here the true location for true saints, and it's in Christ. In fact, let me, let me say this to you. I think this is the primary location discussed, discussed here, and it gives meaning to every other location. Now, let me just kind of explain what I'm saying. John and Paul both talk about this concept of our, our spiritual location, giving meaning to every other location. They do this a couple of times. John records Christ as saying, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. See what Christ is saying, saying there? 
He says, yeah, you have a physical location, but that's not really your primary one. And you won't understand that location if you don't understand that you're not of this world, you're actually in Christ. That location, the spiritual location, gives meaning, understanding, insight to our physical location. John will later write in his epistle, this is chapter two, around verse 15. Do not love the world. The things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In other words, he knows we're in this world, we're seeing these things, and we're around the world. But he's saying, don't love that world because you're not of that world. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that our citizenship is in heaven. Isn't that interesting? In other words, you don't belong. You're, you're a pilgrim here. You're just traveling through. You belong to another place, another country. What did Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. So the New Testament does not know any sense in which God's people belong to the world. This is what's happening here. Yes, you're in Ephesus, but you're, you're really not there. You're actually in Christ. And that location gives meaning to every other location. Can I just say to you, pastorally, I think some of us in 2020... In this year of incredible changes, perhaps have lost sight of our true location. We'll let our culture dictate, our society mandate. We've let opinions um, affect us to the point that suddenly we become fearful and worried and we're not sure where we should land or stand we're talking just not only medical issues, but political issues, societal issues. There's a host of things that can make you wonder, where should I stand? Where should I land? If you're trying to fit into your physical location only, you're going to struggle. In fact, I'd say to you, if you don't know where you are spiritually, you, you won't know where you are physically. And my encouragement as your pastor is to encourage you to see your primary location being in Christ so that then you know how to live and stand in the culture. You see, it's similar to being in a boat in the ocean. If you were in a boat in the ocean, you could say, I'm in the ocean. I'm on the ocean. There is water all around me. I'm surrounded by water. But as long as the water the ocean doesn't get in the boat, you're all right. Agreed? The problem is if you're surrounded by water, you're in the ocean, you're on the ocean, and the ocean's in the boat, then you've got a problem. And I think sometimes we forget that, yes, we're in the world. The world's all around us. But we can't let the world in the boat. That's when the problems occur. And so, so realize your primary location, you're in Christ, and let's not pollute that with worldly thoughts, vain philosophies. Man, we're, we're, in the, uh, we're in the world, we're surrounded by it, yes, but our primary location is we're in Christ. And that's what enables us then to last and persevere and endure while we are in the world. One more incidental note about this idea of our location, which I, I think is kind of intriguing as well. Regarding the phrase in Ephesus there in your Bible in verse 1, some of your translations will have it in brackets. 
Some of your translations might have it with a footnote. Here's what's going on there. There are some early manuscripts that don't have the two words in Ephesus. But the grammar is such that you expect it to be there. Now, that's not saying it shouldn't be there because later copies do have the words in Ephesus. Here's what I think was happening. In the earliest manuscripts and the copies of them, probably they, they, they structured the sentence to be read by someone who would read it in a gathering of believers or in a city, the gathering of the Christians. And because Ephesians is what we call a circular letter, it was read from town to town, kind of like Colossians. The, they left a blank there so that the reader would insert the city they were in or the church or the gathering they were in to the believers in Colossae, the believers in Ephesus. And so there, there may have been an intentional blank there. And then as the centuries went on, the, the uh, copyist went ahead and inserted its original maybe starting point location in Ephesus. So it's a good translation. But don't you see what's happening here? They're, they're saying... To the saints in Ephesus, or maybe the letters read in Colossae or Pergamum or Thyatira. But here's where there are no blanks. Those who are faithful in Christ. There's no blanks for in Christ. It's set. It's there. So guess what that tells me? There's one location that's paramount. Your city may change, but your standing in Christ should never change. Believer, we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are saints. We're faithful ones. Now, what comes to those who are the saints, the faithful ones? The text says, initially, grace and peace. Do you see that in verse 2? Grace to you and peace. I refer to those as unmerited favor and unexplainable calm. And let's just continue in this vein of 2020 evaluation. Aren't those two things that people want and need right now? Unmerited favor and unexplainable calm. Grace and peace. And guess where they come from? God and Jesus. And guess who they come to? Those who are in Christ. You see, I think these two words are really kind of like the beginning layers of that rich dessert. They're like the initial morsels. They're kind of wetting our appetite. They're just kind of teasing our taste buds. Like, hey, grace and peace to you. And by the way, you should see what's coming. And man, we just kind of start licking our chops spiritually, don't we? As three unfolds and four and five and nine and all the way through verse 14, this beautiful buffet of all that's available and is ours in Christ. This thought of being in Christ, being a saint in Christ, being faithful one in Christ, our identification and location is not just a, a thought that Paul throws in Ephesians. Notice two other verses in which Paul mentions this very same idea. I'll show them on the screen behind me. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 3. Look what he says here. He says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, say it with me, church, in Christ. Called to be what? Saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the same idea, the same thought of, of our identity 
and our location being central and primary. Look at the book of Colossians, which is a real twin book to Ephesians, by the way. Here's what Colossians 1, 1 and 2 says as it opens. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers. Do you see the same two words there? And where are these brothers? Say it with me. In Christ at Colossae. See the primary location? And he says, to those, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So can we just say something here without any sense of pride? But can we just embrace a truth that's clear in these opening verses of Ephesians and, is, is, and it runs through Paul's letters? It pays to be in Christ. Let's say that in humility. We didn't earn it. We don't produce it. We don't manufacture it. But man, we receive it. Grace, unmerited favor, peace, unexplainable calm. And then the list goes from verses 3 all the way to 14. All of this is because we are in Christ. And that's what God does. So I just want you to know, I'm speaking for myself as your pastor. I'm so glad to be in Christ, aren't you? And I'm not selfish in, in a weird way, but I am spiritually zealous for these things. And I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, Todd, how do you get to be in Christ? With this verse behind me, just think of this. It's from God through faith. You see, we don't place ourselves into Christ or God's son. God places us into his son. But it does that as we believe in Christ and exhibit faith in what Christ did for us. So we say, it's, you're in Christ by God, but through faith. So if, if you've never put faith in Jesus Christ as God's son who came and died on the cross as the only sacrifice that could satisfy God's wrath against our sin and then was raised from the dead to show that God was satisfied in the price Christ paid for our sins. If you've never put faith in Jesus as the only way to God, hear this politely but clearly, you're not in Christ. You may be in church, in a church building. You may be in a good family. You may be uh, in a good job. You may be in a number of things, but you're not in Christ until God puts you there through faith. And I'd be pastorally negligent not to tell you that if you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter what your family name is or your background or your job or your income. There's only one way that we enter heaven into God's presence to live with him forever. It's by being in Christ. So can I just plead with anyone here who's yet to believe in Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved from sin unto God, would you put your faith this morning in Jesus Christ and let God put you in Christ? And then will you feast at that table with the rest of the believers and eat up on all the blessings that come your way because God has put you in Christ? So it's clear from these verses that what we are 
depends on where we are. What we receive is hinged and tied to where we are. So let's put this in a single sentence, can we? Where I am makes me what I am. Now, I'll ask you, where is the believer? Say the words in parentheses. In Christ. So then what is the believer? Say the words in parentheses. A saint. Or we could say a faithful one. But the text is quite clear that where I am makes me what I am. And church, listen very carefully. The opposite of this is not true. This does not work in reverse order. We don't say, okay, well, to be in Christ, I'm going to try to be a saint. It doesn't work. We don't earn our way into Christ. We don't pave our own road. We don't find our own way. God does the work of placing us into his son, Jesus Christ. When we express faith in Jesus Christ, it's all God's work. So where we are makes all the difference to who we are. We can't say we're a saint unless we're in Christ. And we can't say we're in Christ unless we've expressed faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. So let's just be very clear. Where I am makes me what I am. In other words, location changes everything. Now, I suspect as I said that, some of you thought about the housing market. We may have some realtors here with us, in fact. They're like, yep, location changes everything. In fact, I called a realtor this week in our church. We have several. And I called one and I said, hey, can you, can you verify this for me before I make this statement? I asked him, I said, what, what's one of the primary, if not the primary factor in buying and selling property? Guess what his first word was? Location. He said, there are other things that matter. We wouldn't exclude those. He said, but I would probably say to you, the top one is location. I've heard it put this way humorously. Folks have said, when you're buying or selling, three things matter. Location, location, <laughs> location. You've heard that, right? Okay, if that's true physically or economically or in the housing arena, it's exponentially more true theologically and spiritually. Location changes everything. Because when you're in Christ, appetites start changing. Actions begin to change. Your life experiences change because of who you're in and where you are. You're set apart. You have a whole new existence, a whole new citizenship. This is why your location is so important. So my question to you is this. Do you know where you are? I'm not asking for an address. <laughs> I suspect you know your physical location. I'm asking, do you know where you are spiritually? Because that's your most important location. That's the primary address, so to speak, you got to know. So do you know where you are? Because if you don't know where you are, this is a deep thought. You won't know where you are. In other words, if you don't know where you are spiritually, you won't know where you are physically. You'll be floundering, trying to gain someone's thumbs up, their like, their approval. Am I fitting in here? 
Whose flag should I wave? Where should I stand? That's a miserable existence. Let's put our nose in the book, our feet on God's promises, and let's realize we're in Christ. That's where we are. Okay, so now we know where we are also physically. So my goal this morning has been to point you to, yes, your primary identification, but to show you that that primary identification is hinged to your primary location. And to ask you to think about this. Do you know where you are? And my sense is two things must happen in this room at this point. All of us, to some degree, must begin to recalibrate. Every one of us. Those walking with the Lord, those on fire for God, those hungry for, for, uh, for the word, and those who are just cold in their walk, those who are just making their way back. Regardless of that spectrum of believers, everyone here needs to recalibrate and realize, oh, I know my ultimate location, and let's keep our eyes there. You know, you've been driving somewhere, and you, you hit on your phone uh, the direction button, and you hit go, and it starts the direction, and it starts talking to you, right? It's like a wrong turn, either intentionally, or maybe you just go somewhere different for a minute, take a detour. It will recalibrate, won't it? And it will give you new directions. But guess what? It doesn't change. It doesn't change the ultimate location. It still is going to make sure you get where you need to go, right? Because it's based on that. That's what I'm asking you to do. Every believer here, you know you're in Christ. Recalibrate based on your ultimate location. Then there are those here who need regeneration. You're not in Christ. You're outside. Travis talked last week about there are insiders and outsiders. You're an outsider and you hear these blessings and you see these and you're, you're, you're curious because you've been attending here. You're, you're kind of checking things out. Maybe you're listening online or watching. You're, you're curious, but you're just not sure. How does this work? How do I get in? Where's the access point? The access point is from God through faith. And if, if you're not in, what I, I just ask you to ask God to save you through Jesus and he will regenerate your heart He'll give you a whole new heart. He'll bring that dead heart to life. And suddenly you'll find that, oh, I'm not in Ankeny necessarily. I'm not in Iowa. I'm not in a physical place. I'm in Christ. And that changes everything. So the question is, which one do you need to address? Your recalibration or regeneration? Would you pray with me, please? And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to continue to ponder that thought. And I'm actually this morning going to ask you if I can pray for you before we remember the Lord in communion. I'll start just by asking, is there anyone here in this service who said, Todd, I realize I'm an outsider I've been checking out Christ, his claims. I've been curious about Christianity. I feel like there's something missing. And I realize it's God drawing me to himself. And this morning, I'm ready to step over the line and express my faith in who Jesus is and what he did. I'm asking God through my faith to put me into Christ. I'm asking God to save me. As the verses this morning said later on, the gospel of our salvation. Todd, I take my stand on the gospel that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and was raised from the dead, 
and only through Christ can I be saved. I'm asking God to place me in Christ this morning. I ask you this a lot without any apology because this is the, the most important question on the face of the planet. Do you know where you'll spend eternity? And so can I again this week, to those who are upstairs or even listening or watching or those in this room, is there anyone here who would say, Todd, this morning, I want to move from outsider to insider. I want to place my faith in Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.